You're listening to episode 69 of Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich. Let's chat. Discover children at a whole new level. Be empowered to grow with the children in your life. Welcome to Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich. Hi there and welcome to Chat About Children where we chat about all things children and empower you to grow with the children in your life. Today is a very special episode. It's an episode that is completing the self-care series that we've had running on the podcast for previous weeks in honor of my third book just released, Flourish for Mums, 21 Ways to Thrive with Self-Care and Acceptance. And I'd love for you to check that out at flourishformums.com. Now, I really wanted to honor mothers and celebrate children, of course, with Mother's Day being just around the corner. So I've had some fun with this episode. I've invited a range of guests, including the amazing fun-loving psychologist Miranda Watkins and high-profile entrepreneur Tori Archbold and her daughter Bella. Also guesting on today's episode are my three children. So they are debuting. It's their first time on a podcast, and uh, you'll hear their sweet voices throughout today's episode. Now, you are going to experience joy, smiles, laughter, inspiration, and empowerment in today's episode. So let's get on with the chat. Let's honor mothers and celebrate children. And now some jokes that my daughter Zara has made up and she would like to share. When does your schoolwork get marked? When the clock ticks. (laughs) What flower makes you fall in love? Love and What can beat you at any game? A beetle. Miranda Watkins is joining us as part of the Mother's Day mashup episode. She is a psychologist and yoga teacher who is founding director of Evolve Wellbeing in Queensland, Australia. Miranda realised her passion in supporting others to create the life best lived by designing healing spaces and a place to feel safe, encouraged and gently challenged. In witnessing the courage and the strength that her clients come to therapy with, she believes that with the right support and encouragement, so much is possible. As a yoga teacher and student, she advocates for the restorative benefits of yoga in addition to the value of psychology. And now Miranda, as a mother to a now teenage daughter, she claims her to be her saving grace. So she sometimes cringes when she thinks about what she thought she knew about life, but this was clearly before mum life. Miranda Watkins, welcome to the Mother's Day mashup episode on Chat About Children. Thank you so much, Sonia. I'm so excited to be here today. Um, This is my very first podcast too, so I can't wait to share my life experiences, my professional experiences, um, and hope that it's going to be of use for everyone out there. Oh, absolutely. Without a doubt. That's why you are with us, Miranda. Now, before we Mm -hmm. launch into some questions that uh, I know mums would love the answers to, tell us what, what was one thing that you thought you knew about life? before having uh, having your daughter what was one thing that you can share with us that you thought you knew about life but really you might not have had that quite right I don't think there is one single thing I remember professionally working with mums and bubs in prisons and in drug and alcohol settings 
this is uh, BC, before children, I call that era. <laughs> and I used to go with the textbooks and the theory. And I always had this compassion and empathy for the mums and working well with them. But I think after actually having a child, I think, oh, my goodness, there's no way I could actually work in that space the way I was. It takes it on a whole new level. Um, the infancy, when you have the sleepless nights, then into toddlerhood, the developmental stages, the regression stages. And I'm not just talking about the children then. I think that's as a human being as well and a mum. My moments of just feeling utterly overwhelmed and sleep deprived to the absolutely joyous little snapshots. Um, and now we're in a whole new phase of being a teenager. So I actually love working with teenage girls in my private practice. And I look at my own role as mum. And I think a common stereotype would be, oh, well, you'll have it all handled. You'll have it all. But I do remember absolutely not. Um, my daughter once said to me, because I was setting some boundaries on the way to school, she goes, you're a terrible psychologist, mum. <laughs> That means I'm probably a good mum to you because I'm like a psychologist. Good luck on that. <laughs> so I get these comments and sometimes when she does, I'm like, I must be doing something right because I think if you don't piss off your children at least once a day, especially when they're older, um, yeah, women need some more boundaries here. So I go, that's all right, darling. Thank you. You're allowed to be angry. <laughs> so there's a lot. There's a lot. Fantastic. Do you think, though, that you did put more pressure on yourself, though, with your professional training? Do you think you were a bit hard on yourself? Look, I think professional training and actually having a good foundation of attachment-based pairing, um, circle of security, um, as well as being a psychologist and having my own personal therapy to have an understanding of self and knowing the risk factors when you can be a perfectionist, you can tend to have a higher rate of postnatal depression or vulnerability there. And so I was very mindful of that, which helped me to cope with the reality of the stress, um, accessing support, um, mood and sleep deprivation. Um, it was a huge curve in getting to know myself. It actually taught me immense patience because I have always struggled, I think, with patience um, and acceptance at times. But I think having my daughter actually brought a whole new depth to being able to be patient. Um, I think also joining a mother's group in those first few months, because before I thought, no, my little black book's full, I've got heaps of support, but there's nothing like having other people going on this journey. And uh, 13 years later, we have a core group of us that are still very solid, very strong, um, and the kids all get along beautifully, even though they don't go to school and they didn't technically grow up together. So I am immensely grateful for that. And I would recommend finding a mother's group um, that's actually your tribe because there's so many there. But if you don't fit in or you feel it's not yours, keep trying. Find your tribe with that. Absolutely. And that's so important. And I think what you're reinforcing there as well is that human connection and support and being proactive in finding the right fit for you and it's okay if you if you feel like you're you're not quite fitting in keep going that's really important because there can be a tendency I would say for mums to just go this isn't working and just shut shop on that but that's not the case keep going till you find your tribe because they are there absolutely and I think it's also important to allow flexibility with our expectations and our ways of thinking as I said before my expectation was I don't need a mother's group I've got this this is going to be good but then being flexible to saying no maybe I don't I'm not I need some support here and I'm going to try this Um, because I think especially being a mother 
if we're not flexible and we can become very rigid in our thinking or our ways of being, we're going to crack. But if we can allow flexibility, it's a bit like having bamboo and it can um, sway with the storms that come without actually breaking. Um, and that's actually a lived experience and something that's not just thinking, but how we can enact it in our everyday lives. Because as we know, um, as mothers, things don't go the way we plan. You have an idea for the morning, um, particularly when women are more corporate or have been in um, career type uh, occupations, life is quite messy quite quickly yeah. and we have to accommodate that. Totally. And so, to yeah, absolutely. And, and what you're saying there is just adopting that real open mindedness. Uh, and being okay with that. So help us to understand a little more, Miranda, about what mothers most commonly present to you with, perhaps from like an emotional perspective. Certainly. Often, initially, it might be diagnosed as postnatal depression, um, but we often find there's a high degree of anxiety symptoms. Um, with depression, um, they often go hand in hand. I find um, there can be histories of trauma, um, it can be relational trauma or attachment trauma from their own childhoods. And when someone's maybe presented with a difficult childhood, there can be that much more pressure when they become a parent on them wanting to feel they have to get it right or re-script the experiences they had and to be mindful that they are not their child, they are themselves. And that's where doing our own work can be immensely beneficial actually before having our children. But sometimes we're not even aware of that and it does come up once that child is crying or how we might be triggered when we're sleep deprived or our child's crying or we can't soothe them, or we're overwhelmed or we're not sure what does my child actually need. Um, so very common to have anxiety and anxiety is also about um, expectations, that um, monologue we have in our mind, which can be very critical, that self-critical, self-talk and that compare and despair where we tend to look around and we think, oh, my gosh, look at those lovely dressed, well-dressed children or they're so compliant or behaved. Oh, my gosh, no, she's feeding them um, special probiotic yogurt and my child's trying to grab this chocolate bar off the shelf here at arm level or my child's even here. Where are they? They've taken off and they're not coming back. Yeah, it's all that fear so, of judgment too, isn't it? What will people yeah. think? And so we always compare ourselves, our inner self, to what we're seeing as someone's outer self and not realising that the core of it, we're all feeling very vulnerable and scared and frightened at different times. Absolutely. So anxiety is is certainly a big one. And, and I would say, I'd say this is a safe guess here, guilt shame yes. tell us a little bit about guilt and shame because they are different and I know that in a previous chat we had you were talking about how they they can get a bit confused as to what they are and what's different about them so help us understand what the difference is between guilt and shame yes guilt is often a part of depression as well um, it can be a feature of depressed uh, mood Guilt as an adaptive emotion, though, for humans, the same as anger, it's part of our experience. And guilt is essential because it acts as a bit of a moral handbrake and to stop us doing intentional harm to another person. So, for example, when our children might learn that, okay, you don't kick your friend when you're angry because it's going to hurt them. And if they do, they might feel bad about it, which is functional because if they can use that guilt, they may then not do it next time. However, shame can be more of an internalised experience and it can be much more toxic because I think it runs a lot deeper. 
shame becomes a sense of feeling that one may be defective, um, inadequate in some deep way, and it's often harder to talk about because shame is often very isolating and lonely as well. Um, when we feel defective, we can often feel that no one's going to understand or I'm going to be judged so badly that it's going to be devastating for me. And so as that compounds over months or years, it becomes quite an entrenched um, problem, which from it manifests often coping strategies, which can be overcompensating, which is when we go over the top, you know, people can be over bright or cheery, you know, everything's great, my life is perfect, wonderful, nothing to see over here. Um, other ones just often avoidance, um, because it is a um, survival strategy, I don't want to avoid this, it's too painful to repressing it, or suppressing it. And all of those human defense mechanisms actually act as a huge barrier for us to be our true selves, our authentic selves, and to be our, the best version of ourselves. So that's where they're different. Guilt has a function um, because it helps us causing, not to cause intentional harm and make change. But when we get stuck in shame, it can be quite toxic and it can um, lead to a whole host of other trauma and problems in our relationships. So for someone listening, you know, for mums listening, what do you think would be the first step is always self-awareness. So mm. is do you feel there's a difference in how that feels? Like it's obviously an individual thing, but is there a difference, do you think, in mm. how it's felt, felt or experienced when we're looking at guilt versus shame? Or is it just too yeah. different? It can be hard to separate them. Um, however, I do think guilt can be more automatic. So say if we... Um, I don't know, if we looked away and our child falls or our child falls when we're looking at them or they hurt themselves and we think, oh, no, why didn't I see that coming? Um, versus shame when we think, oh, my gosh, I'm going to be judged. This is terrible. I can never tell anyone um, something bad's going to happen. Um, so I think guilt and also not just as a parent, um, it's looking at expectations of ourselves as well because um, that can be modified if we can go, you know, do I intentionally cause harm here? Did I intentionally intend for my child to fall or hurt themselves um, or forget my child's lunchbox? And if we can say, no, actually, I didn't, I'm human, that's when we can absolve ourselves of guilt. However, with shame, when it runs deeper, we think, oh, well, and I shouldn't have forgotten it. What sort of mother am I? Why didn't I forget my child's lunch? Um, they're going to starve or they're never going to forgive me or they'll be picked on by the other children. So it really can maximise um, the anxiety effects of that so I think a good question to ask ourselves is did I intentionally cause this harm was that my intention in this action if yes we can go all right well let's explore that but it also means if I don't want to do it again I will be able to modify that I'm really aware of it now but if I actually didn't cause that or intend to cause that then what am I beating myself up for Yep. So it's breaking the circuit by the types of questions mm -hmm. that you come back and ask yourself and being aware of what is running through your mind um, kind of yes. like an outside looking in going, oh, here are the thoughts that are coming through. Um, what's yes. happening with those? How do I challenge those? Which is mindfulness. What do I do with them? Yes, yes. So, so yeah, moving into um, mindful moments with Miranda because you've just mentioned mindfulness there and kind of that very initial response of if you're responding to something with guilt or shame of you've you've noticed it obviously first up you respond with um i guess having an analysis of what your self-questioning or thoughts are 
or sorry, what you're, you're questioning is, and then, mm-hmm. um, yeah, challenging those. But tell us, what do we do next? What is kind of one of the key ingredients that we need to be practicing um, and explore mindfulness with us a little bit more too? Sure. Mindfulness basically means being able to be present in a moment. It doesn't mean relaxation, although sometimes when we do practice mindfulness, it can be relaxing, but it's having an awareness and it's having an awareness. We can tune in like a remote control to different aspects of self. So if we consider ourselves as having the sense of sound and we can maybe have a little listen to what sounds we can hear around us, maybe having an awareness of where our body connects to another surface, maybe that's our feet on the floor or what our hands are touching, maybe having an awareness of how we're actually breathing having an awareness of what we can smell, taste, what we can see, and then having an awareness of any emotions we're feeling. It can be quite challenging to really catch thoughts without any past um, education or experience about what our thoughts actually are. And a first step is often we're very aware of an emotion. An emotion can seemingly come up out of nowhere, but often emotions are very much driven by our thinking patterns. So if we notice a feeling, say if it's a feeling of I'm feeling really angry, even naming it, saying, I feel angry, if I can identify that, which feels different from sad, which may feel different from fearful, which may feel different from ashamed. So if we can say, for example, I feel really angry, um, and I'm sounding very calm, so I'm saying this because when we're angry, we don't often feel very calm or sound very calm in our minds. It's tracking back and going, what's going through my mind that's making me feel angry? Maybe it's a thought such as this isn't fair or this shouldn't be happening or I can't cope with this or I can't tolerate this because our thoughts directly drive our emotions, which directly derive our then behaviours. So first of all, mindfulness might mean just becoming a bit more aware within ourselves of let's see if we can catch our feeling. And then we can work backwards and go, well, what's going through my mind as I'm feeling this way? Um, But if we can identify that feeling and then put a little bit of a stop on ourselves, imagining a stop sign or just going, hang on a minute, stop, step back. Because once we're in a highly intensely emotional situation, it's like our logical, rational minds have gone offline, like our computers just shut down. And in order to get back online, we have to regulate our emotional system and find a way to calm ourselves. And if we can do this and find ways to practice this, we're actually going to be better off to teach our children because we are our children's teachers. And we were also taught by our teachers, which are often our parents and the older um, adults and mentors in our life, but they didn't necessarily have all those tools or get it right. And we're not going to get it right either, but we can always becomes a lifelong practice. So being mindful of our feelings and our emotions, not good or bad, just what they are. We can then also become mindful of our thoughts, which leads to deeper work, which I often advise um, people to have a really good therapist to do some of this work or um, their self-help strategies to really dive deeper and understand some of our core beliefs and our thinking patterns that drive a lot of our um, distressing emotions because when we can understand ourselves better we can then that leads to change absolutely so the mindfulness yeah um that's also one first step of um, what we might be talking about with self-compassion as well so tell us more about self-compassion that's exactly where i was going because i know Mm -hmm. that a lot of these terms do kind of get thrown around in different ways and sometimes I do wonder do people actually know what it is and what it means give us your brief definition of what that what it means but then also what it feels like to practice it yes 
there's been a lot of studies and a lot more emphasis in the last um, seven years or so in uh, looking at the evidence-based foundations of self-compassion um, and psychology. And it's really good to know what it is and what it isn't. It's certainly not self-esteem because self-esteem looks at the value we place on ourselves, but there was a whole movement in the 80s, 90s and millennium, I think, about everyone getting a medal or everyone having to excel. And the reality is, as humans, we're not all as good equally at certain things. Um, we are all different and we have our different strengths. And sometimes people are going to, perform better in a test than others and that's okay because self-compassion is also learning how to accept oneself and that's where mindfulness comes in because it becomes about being aware of our suffering because as humans one universal thing that's common to all of us is that we suffer and suffering means pain um, and if we can imagine projecting this onto someone we deeply love or care about to start with it's often easier than applying it to oneself so thinking about uh, a creature or a being or a person that you love or care about and when they're in distress and when they're in distress they may be crying they may be demonstrating some behavior um, that shows they're in pain and the next step often with having our empathy and compassion is we want to reach out and take that suffering from them we want to do something that will ease their pain whether that be a hug a kind word or just being with them. So having that, first of all, we identify the pain and we respond with an act of compassion and compassion is essentially kindness and gentleness. So applying that to oneself means if we can identify our distress and our suffering, i.e. anger, shame, guilt, fear, depression, the next step is learning how to apply those acts of kindness and gentleness to oneself. So whether we can as people often say, learning how to give ourselves a break. That's our internal monologue instead of the self-critic being, you know what, I'm doing the best I can. Um, and with regular practice, we might actually get to a part where we can be our own champion, going, you know what, well done, love. Instead of the, mm -hmm. the mean words we might say to ourselves, and if we can catch ourselves, this is where mindfulness is brilliant, to go, did I just call myself a bleep, bleep, bleep or a um, jerk? Ow, that would hurt. Imagine if I called my best friend or my child that um, or someone I loved. <laughs> yeah, ouch. And so I think, well, why am I different? I'm a human. Of course, I'm going to feel the pain. Um, the final part of self-compassion actually is this principle of being able to realise that we're not alone and it's seeing a universal connection. When we can open up to vulnerability, and this is where the works of Brene Brown um, and Kristen Neff can be really uh, interesting to have a look at. Because when we can actually be honest and authentic and go, you know what, I did this or I felt this, and then you see people just sigh relief and go, oh, my gosh, I am so glad you said that because I've had the worst week or I did that too. Oh, my gosh, no, I did worse. And everyone's going, no, I did it too. And suddenly <laughs> we're all connected. Um, there's another beautiful book for children too, um, like The Invisible String. And it's like this invisible string where we see that we're all connected and they're connected and they're connected. And the essential part of this is about love and it's okay. It's okay to be imperfect. It's okay to be human. And if we can be a bit kinder to ourselves, and kindness too does not mean self-indulgence. Sometimes when we look at common ways of coping with stress, if people have a bad day at work or a really hectic day, they might go, oh, one o'clock. Oh, I'm going to eat that tub of ice cream. I'm going to eat the whole tub. I'm going to drink the whole bottle. 
but ultimately that can cause us harm. Just imagine if we were to give our child that whole bottle of wine or um, the whole tub of ice cream. We probably wouldn't dream of it because we go, oh, my gosh, that's going to be really bad for their health. That's not going to help them. But yet we quite willingly do this to ourselves. And so if we can be mindful of that and go, you know what, I really would love that wine, but I am so stressed that I probably need a bubble bath or I need to go for a walk or I need to just take a longer out home or take an extra half hour or take some time out for me so I can regulate myself and get back online before I go back into the job of being mum or parent or partner or whatever it is that we're then next doing. Absolutely. And Miranda, there was so much value and depth in everything you just said. So I know that there's a lot to process for the the listeners that kind of really could connect and relate to a lot of what you were saying there. And, and really, even in that last example of the ice cream or the bottle of wine, um, I, I guess that's often something that we might automatically go, that's what I want. But what you've said is, what do you need? And that's the difference, isn't it? It's asking yourself that question. Yes. I want the ice cream. I need a walk or I need to get an early night, whatever yeah. it is. And really perhaps that simple way of, of um, questioning yourself or, or reflecting within yourself mm-hmm. could, be, could just be a basic start to breaking the circuit of some of what we, we almost feel is an automatic and I can't help it. It's kind of putting you back in the steering wheel and, and the driver's seat, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Now, I would love, Miranda, for you to share a Mother's Day message for all mums. But before you do that, I'm going to just ask you another little question. And I don't know if we've got enough time in this episode for it, but have you got any really um, any quick exercises or something that you can talk us through, even for you know under a minute, um, whether it's a visualization or something, something short and brief that you could kind of talk us through for for the listeners that might be a nice starting point for them to just take a breath, come Two back things. to the present moment. Totally. The first thing I often say to all my clients is first question is what do you want and what do you need and I get them to write the first three things down that come to mind if they're struggling I say take it away for homework really give this some consideration because this is really important stuff and to trust the first thing that comes to mind often it's I need space (laughs) or I need strategies Um, so it's just asking ourselves what do we need what do I want the second thing is uh, a really good strategy when mums tend to judge themselves a lot about what they think they're not doing or they're shortfalls is I say let's keep a list uh, like a bit of an inventory um, of everything you've done today as a mum everything you've done yesterday and so just take a few moments and everything from picking up a bit of cereal or um, looking at the emails from school getting them to school or washing clothes or every single thing and they start to write a bit of an inventory and then I say okay let's have a look at this list this is what you do as a mum let's take you off this list and let's just say it's another mum how would you judge them and I've actually never met anyone yet who said, oh, pretty crap. They've actually said, oh, that's a lot. And it can sort of shift to a whole new appreciation of, yes, I'm holding a lot here. I'm doing a lot. And then we can actually then move into, well, no wonder you're feeling exhausted or this way. So I think this is really important that you as a human and as a mother human actually need a bit of space and a bit of self-care and a bit of a break. 
Absolutely. Thank you. They are super valuable exercises to start people off. And I really love the one about writing that inventory as well, because that would be quite eye-opening, I imagine, for people. Because I I feel like in life we tend to normalize whatever is going on for us. You know, that's normal. It's just what I do. But it's not until you step out and you look in that you kind of go, actually, that's pretty amazing or that's pretty unsustainable or whatever it is yes. <laughs> that you want to think. Um, but well, it, yes. it does help to separate. So I love that exercise of the inventory. That's brilliant. Miranda, you have been amazing. Tell us what your Mother's Day message gift is for all the mums out there listening. Okay. Look, check into yourself before you actually check out. Um, don't just use Mother's Day as a day to be looked after or to ask for help or self-care. Make every day a bit of a Mother's Day for you. Really acknowledge the work that you're doing because without you, there wouldn't actually be humanity. Um, get a therapist because I think that's always valuable. Every human, I think, should have their own therapist, their life guide and mentor, but get someone who gets you. And sometimes you might have to do a few interviews. It's like you're interviewing them for the job of therapist. Um, and also buy Sonia's book, Flourish, because I think <laughs> that is just going to complement any therapy beautifully. Thank you, Miranda. <laughs> that's totally, I did not ask her to say that, guys. But thank yeah. you. No, that's that's really lovely and flattering. And I know that <laughs> she you, didn't, you, I know. I love you, you have read an advance, uh, an advance copy and, uh, and, and I'm so grateful for all the work that you do. And I know that there are lots of mums and also not mums out there that have worked with you over the years and have just experienced such a wonderfully positive life change, not just to themselves, but to everyone that they share their world with. So thank you for all the wonderful work that you do, Miranda. Thank you, Sonia. And now my daughter Cleo has some jokes that she's going to share that she's made up. What is a swimming pool's favourite colour? Purple. What type of undies do elephants wear? Trunks. What does a cow use to look after its skin? Moisturiser. And now joining me on the Mother's Day mashup episode as we honour mothers and celebrate children, we have Tori and Bella Archbold. Now, Tori Archbold is known as the woman who empowers women as founder and CEO of Powerful Steps. And she's also host of one of the country's top rating podcasts on the Nova Network, Powerful Stories. So Tori has her daughter, Bella, joining us as well. Bella is 16 years old and she shares a beautiful bond and relationship with her mum. So they're the perfect fit for this episode. So welcome, Tori and Bella. Thank Thank you. We're so excited to be here. This is our first interview together for a podcast. Very exciting. Well, welcome. It's an honour to have you both. Now, you both share a beautiful relationship, a beautiful mother-daughter relationship, and I would love to know the one word that comes to mind when you think of your mum, Bella. I would have to say pure hearted. Was that pure heart? Oh, yeah, pure heart. That's two words. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) I'm being picky here, Bella. (laughs) Pure. Pure hearted. I love that. We'll go with pure hearted. I love that. And Tori, what about one word when you think of Bella? Empowered. 
Oh, nice. Nice. And so true. Now, I'd love to know from each of you what you might feel is one of the key ingredients that keeps your relationship strong, because all relationships take work. Absolutely. What do you think is that one key ingredient that you could share with us? Well, I definitely say communication. um, And that has been something that we have done together since Bella was you know, very, very young. I've always believed that it's important that she can come to me with anything, whether, you know, it's success or whether it's a challenge or a failure, because there's always a solution in life. And I think because I've always been open-minded and let's remember as mums, many of the times we've already taken those steps and we've experienced what they're going through. It's our role to be able to help them to evolve, to learn, to move on and to up-level. And, you know, I chose the word empowered because I feel through communication she is empowered. Um, And she's not only empowered to communicate with me but to communicate with everyone and be truthful, respectful, but most importantly be able to um, show the world who she is. Yes, love that. And, Bella, what about you? What do you feel is that one key ingredient that keeps your relationship strong with your mum? like communication I think support is very important for us because we tend to bounce off each other and learn and grow from each other and I think that's so important being mother-daughter. Absolutely and and I like that because it is a constant learning and growing it's not a I've got it now and let's move on it's just that openness to constant growing and constant learning. I'm, I'm watching the facial expressions here and you guys obviously can't see them. But uh, I'm trying to keep a straight face. It can be just challenging. So what makes your mum so special, Bella? You've talked about obviously that pure heart, but what else do you feel makes her so special? I feel like because we've grown up, well, I've grown up with just mum being my main figure in my life, I think that her ability to read me and understand me is the most important thing. And she, over the years, has learned to, like, read what I'm thinking. She knows exactly what I'm thinking. So I think that's so important and so special to me because she can just connect with me. And yeah. Oh, I love that. And that can be really scary sometimes too. <laughs> <laughs> when mums mums know best sometimes or they know what's going on in your mind and you think you can kind of you know get away with them not knowing but anyway that's that's another story so yes but so important and on the flip side Bella what's a small thing that can be a bit on the frustrating or annoying side because let's keep it real well I mean the fact that she knows me so well I can't really get away with anything like she just knows me too well and it's kind of annoying sometimes but it's also good <laughs> yeah yeah just makes you show up be real and that whole authenticity that I know you're all about Tori it's uh it's not an option Bella it's just authenticity that's it <laughs> <laughs> keeping it and real show up. <laughs> so Tori now it's your turn what do you think makes Bella so special Um, I love her willingness to evolve through new experiences and she doesn't box things. She's quite agile in her thinking because, you know, I've always taught her you have choices and you have crossroads and it's your decision which path you want to walk down. But I love the fact that she understands that she has choice and that she can be anything that she wants to be in this world. And I think when you have a child that's not afraid of change and is agile in their thinking, 
you know, not only do they grow up fast, but they also understand their uniqueness and, you know, their special superpower a lot quicker than others around them. And I think that that's just such a beautiful gift. Um, and the other thing I would like to say is, you know, she's she's very intuitive, my daughter. She thinks I'm intuitive. <laughs> um, she is very intuitive as well. And I think one of the things that I encourage with her and I love about her so much is trust your gut instinct, trust your intuition, because if you think that move is a wrong move, it probably is. <laughs> but when you know it's the right move, just go for it. Yeah, that is so important. And it's it's that important tool that is just, it's a life skill. You keep honing it and practicing and listening to it. Sometimes it doesn't always make sense logically, but at some point it does. I really, I love that. That's so important. So Tori, what about on the flip side? What's something that can be a little bit frustrating or on the annoying side? I have a little confession to make. I went on Bella's phone the other day and she's at 1.5 million Snapchats. And I was a little bit alarmed because I thought, who has the time to do that? But then I did take it back a bit. And I know that, you know, you work with a lot of children, Sonia. And it was this thing called streaks that they all did. Way to out me. Yeah, I've outed you. But so many kids do it and it's like live or die. Like Bella would go on school camp and she'd be like, Mom, can you just do my streaks for me? (laughs) And then she'd be mortified because they were so bad. But thankfully about 12 months ago she gave up the streaks um, and also there's, More you like know, two months ago. Oh no, really? Two months ago. Maybe that's why it's at that 1.5 million. But, you know, I think kids nowadays, there's so much digital choice in the world. I wish just sometimes that the phone could just go down and they could just chill and not feel that they have to be so on all the time with other children. Yeah, that's true. And because that personal space is really, really important, that reconnecting back to you and that intuition, Bella, um, super, super important. So Tori, I know, and you obviously know, becoming a mum, you just enter a whole new world, particularly within that initial period, there is so much going on in in a mum's inner world. And often it brings a deeper level of connection uh, and appreciation and perhaps compassion, you know, for your own mum, your own grandmother. For me, I know I certainly started to think about that and I saw my mum in a very different light when I became a mum. Share with us how motherhood changed your world. And I'd love to know whether you too felt that kind of a shift toward understanding and honouring your own mum. Yeah, so I guess the first thing was because, you know, I was so busy with life when I fell pregnant with Bella. I wasn't the normal mum that went off and did the birthing classes and, you know, had time to kind of enjoy that whole process. And so when she arrived, I'll never forget it, this beautiful, she, you know, she was put on my breast and this beautiful, her eyes connected with mine. It was like this soulful connection. But outside, it was like the height of summer, but there was lightning and hail and thunder. And I was like, this child has been brought into my life for some incredible reason. And I just, I, my gut instinct was like, you guys are going to be going on a journey together that's like no other. And I truly believe that that's what happened because I had to change the way I lived very quickly. And what I learned was that I grew up in a family where love was conditional. 
And so on the flip side, I wanted my daughter to grow up in an environment where, you know, there were no conditions around love, that there was compassion, there was empathy, that if you made a mistake, it was okay because you're just going to learn, you're going to grow, you're going to up-level, you're going to evolve. So when I look at motherhood, and how it changed me for the better and also Bella for the, for the better, I think it was all about breaking patterns from the past. And I'll never forget a few years ago, um, you know, when I won full custody of Bella, it was really interesting because I sat her down and I said, you know what, you and I actually have an opportunity that no one else in the world is given And it is to create a family that we wanted, that what we believed in, the values, the alignment. And I just said, you know what, this is so special for you because going forward, what we create from this point forward is going to be what your next generation is going to experience. And so motherhood for me was really changing the past and stepping into the future so that I could bring up a child that was empowered by her choices, but could also lead the way for the next generation and not follow in the mistakes of the past. Yeah, that's really beautifully inspiring, Tori. It really, really is. And I know that for a lot of people listening, that will also tweak something deep inside. So thank you for sharing that. Now, I know, Tori, that for you, there's been a lot going on in life, a lot of successes, a lot of challenges, uh, you know, and everyone's life journey is unique. And part of that has meant that you've had to adopt self-care. You've had to look after yourself to best look after Bella. So, and I know you have some amazing self-care practices in place. Can you tell us a little about how you came to refine your self-care practices over the years and what you do now as part of your self-nurture? I think 2013 was a game-changing year for me because I was at the top of my career. I had success to the outside world and I was like, you know, doing everything that I guess a lot of people aspired to be like, travelling to different countries, working with top-performing brands, celebrities and influencers, but inside I really had nothing. And Bella and I were going through a lot of trauma. And I always say that the universe delivers the wake-up call for you at some point in your life. And for me, that was when my appendix burst. I got set to see me. I was given a six-month recovery. But in reality, it was three to four years. Mm -hmm. And I always call it the live or die moment. And beautiful Bella was there throughout that whole process. It's like I had to learn how to walk again, how to go to the toilet. I couldn't drive her to school. I couldn't do all these things. And after the 12th round of antibiotics, the surgeon, he said to me, he's like, none of this is going to work for you. You will continue to struggle. Your body will never, ever get better unless you start to look within. And he said to me, a happy heart is a magnet for miracles. And actually, that's where my recovery truly did did start coming into play and where my rituals of self-care started coming in because without focusing on yourself and the happiness from within, you are never going to attract the right people into your life you're never going to be able to step into your destiny. You're never ever going to be your true, you know, your true calling. And so that started with me is setting up um, a ritual in the shower every day, which I still do, um, which is three um, drops of lavender on my decollage. And I literally inhale it. It grounds me for the day. It gives me the opportunity to set up my intent and purpose. 
And then lately, I've also been doing it as a wrap up before I hop into bed. So sometimes my husband's like, God, that shower's like 15, 20 minutes long. And I'm like, what's my meditation? Because, you know, back when I was that busy, busy mom, where I was like, I've got no time for myself, this Buddhist monk, he said to me, who has a shower with you, Tori? And at that point, Bella was a bit older and she wasn't having um, showers with me anymore because, you know, the busy mum time, it's like she'd be like washing her hair and washing my hair and we'd have showers together for a good 10 years of our life, right, because we were so busy. That was what happened. And I was like, yep, that, that can be my time. And so I always say that's a sacred time that anyone, and for those people listening, anyone can do this because it is it is a time that's yourself. And the lavender just, it allows you to drop down and focus on what you truly want. Absolutely. And it's it's definitely been a journey and an evolution and a learning and then practicing, you know, and, and really a commitment is is what that story strongly, you know, tells us too. It's a commitment to you and it's a commitment to everyone that you're sharing your world with too. So Bella, I'd love to know from your perspective, how would you describe the evolution of your mum's self-care and nurture? And then I'd love to know how that's impacted and influenced you, perhaps with your self-care and nurture. Well, all my life I've known that mum tends to put others before herself and didn't really look after herself. So like she said, in 2013 when she had her you know, life or death experience, I think that she learned to look after herself from that. It woke her up. It showed her, I actually have to look after myself. I need to put myself first. So she started you know, taking more time for herself, understanding, you know, life more. And that really impacted me and showed me, yeah, I need to look after myself. I'm important. I'm just as important as other people. And I think that's really impacted me because it's shown me a way to understand myself more and know what's, right for me and what's right for everyone else. Absolutely. Are there any self-care things that you do each day? Oh, I um, manifest. Yeah. Awesome. Can you share a tiny bit on that one? I know your mum says a lot about it and teaches that too, but give us a little bit of an insight. Well, in quarantine, when I was really bored and I just came back from boarding school and I was like, oh, what is this? What is COVID? Mum was like, why don't you manifest? I mean, the future's big. It's bright. Why don't you take some positivity? I was like, okay. So we got these boards and we wrote little cards on them and we said, this is what I want to achieve. This is my goals. This is what I want to happen. And ever since then, all the time, every morning, I write down my number of HSC mark I want to get or the universities I want to get into. So it's like I just manifest what I want and through that mum's taught me how to believe in myself and take positives out of negatives, which is very good. Oh, I love that. That is so cool and it's a very powerful tool. Thank you for sharing that, Bella. Yes, love hearts. I'm getting I'm getting love hearts with the fingers. That's awesome. <laughs> so I'd love to get your feedback now. Someone said to me just recently, they said a mother is only as happy as her unhappiest child. And that was a really interesting thing for them to say. And I'd love to learn your thoughts reflecting on that. Well, I only have one child. Well, I have a stepson as well. Um, but for me... Actually, I should correct that. I have two children, but for Bella, um, I guess when we were both unhappy when we were going through all the trauma with her father, 
we were both, I mean, we were both unhappy. Yeah. Let's face it. I mean, it. it's like our theory of two masks. There was one that we showed everyone to the world, which was happy people, happy, successful mother with happy, lucky daughter. And then there was, you know, people, two people hurting behind those doors who just didn't tell anyone. So I think, you know, a mother who's unhappy is obviously going to be like that if her daughter's unhappy or son's unhappy. So we kind of fed off each other's yeah. energy. And I think, you know, since that 2013 when we both through that experience, really both of us learned to put ourselves first, to strip out the people that we didn't need in our life, to bring in the good ones, you know, and that was like family, friends, work colleagues, partnerships, whoever was in alignment with us. It quickly allowed us to see a pathway of happiness and now, like, I always say, I'm so happy because Bella's so happy, like, she's so <laughs> happy. And seeing her happy is what makes me go, gosh, you know, everything is just so worth it because, you know, I step up and claim who I am and who I wanted to become, but she's done the same. So when we talk about a happy heart being a magnet for miracles and when you, you know, the Prince of Wales Hospital, they're feeding you with, you know, drugs and antibiotics and, you know, all the other stuff to try and make you better. None of that actually works if you're not happy from within your soul. So, you know, very true. it's important. And so I guess we really, that experience for both of us allowed us to step into, yeah, step into our power and, become those happy magnets for miracles because now both of us just attract the most amazing people into our lives and now we have this beautiful family where you know we have everything that we said that we wanted when we wanted to build a family it's you know we have the good father husband brother situation and yeah it all just those dreams became reality Beautiful. And it's really, it's that belief, isn't it? It's taking that step to believe in yourself, believe in each other and, and create that, that environment of support and then making everything in the outside world be congruent with all that work that you've done on the inside. That's beautiful. Now, look, motherhood has its challenges, definitely, but also it has its deepest reward. Tori, what do you think or have found to be the deepest reward for you? Seeing my daughter wake up with a happy heart. So yeah, I mean that honestly. And seeing how happy she is at school, how happy she is with her friendships, how happy she is being at home. Like most children when they're teenagers don't want to be at home. My daughter loves being at home. And I also love that, you know, she has this very special relationship with my husband where she feels empowered through that connection and it's something I've always wanted for her which was a really strong father figure and to see that come to life is yeah it's just like it's beautiful it sets my heart on fire yeah that's gorgeous and it's just so important isn't it Bella again I'm looking at all these facial expressions do you want to share what a deep reward is as, as being part of your family dynamic um a deep reward is seeing mum as happy as I am because she was so unhappy for so long and I always thought, you know, being so young I didn't understand why she was so unhappy but now I, I can finally understand it more deeper, more deeply. I don't know. That, yeah. <laughs> but, um, I just think that seeing mum so happy and so in tune with herself just makes me happy and that's the greatest reward throughout everything. 
Beautiful. And that really is what it's about. There's that Don't reciprocal, cry. that reciprocal, <laughs> that was a, a kiss share there on the cheek from Tori to Bella. <laughs> Bella, come on, you loved it. Don't make faces. Um, but, you know, I, I think ultimately that that really is what it's about. And having worked with mums, thousands of them, the deepest thing, and, and even as a mum, you just want your child to be happy and healthy. You know, that's it. But the solution actually lies within yourself. And I think when you go through motherhood early on, you don't realise just how much your happiness impacts the happiness of others around you. And your struggles can affect, you know, others as well. And it's not until you take a step back and go, do I really want to be living this life or do I want to be living my best life that you have the opportunity, you know, to make changes. And I want to live my best life. I want everyone in my family my friends, my network to be living their best life. And it's just about, you know, stepping outside of your comfort zone to truly find yourself that you enter the power zone and the power zone is happiness and bliss and it truly can be happily ever after. Thank you. And that that's very true. And I love um, seeing it and I'm hearing it, which is really, really, as I said before, inspiring and very empowering. Now, do you both have any Mother's Day traditions or want to share what's on the card this Mother's Day, if it's not a surprise, Bella? Well, every year I go online and I'm one of those kids who goes, what can I get my mother for Mother's Day? <laughs> and, well, I found that a couple of years ago, I found this website where you can make books and of all your photos and memories together. So ever since then, I have made mum a little book just showing her how much I appreciate her and all our memories together. And she has them like sitting in her little area of like just a stack of all these books and photos. <laughs> it's like, awesome. wow. So yeah, that's what I do for her every year. That is awesome. And what a wonderful thing to be able to look back at and flip through, Tori. I love it because when, well, Bella's at boarding school at the moment and she's got another year to go, but when she's away, if you miss her, which I do, of course, you can flip through and you just, you look back through all of these journeys. And I mean, we've been really lucky that, you know, with Torstar, we traveled the world together. And, you know, now that we're in lockdown, I look back and I just think, wow, what a privilege and what a joy to travel to all those countries. And so, very often, Bella, you know, that Bella will be in a, um, on a donkey in Mykonos or, oh. you know, <laughs> in New York and, you know, waiting for me outside a hotel after, you know, I'm having a meeting because that's, you know, that juggle. So it just reminds me of everything that we've gone through and we, that we've done together. And, you know, there's nothing like a photo as a reminder of great memories. Absolutely. And, and that's important, that pause, that reflection, the celebration. It's it's a really important process. I, we should actually say, did the donkey poo in that shop or not? Or was that another photo? Yeah, it did. It pooed in the shop. No, it was my favorite <laughs> spot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> love it. <laughs> now, I would love for you to gift a Mother's Day message as we wrap up this segment. What's your Mother's Day message for all the mums out there? My message um, is believe in yourself and believe in the possibilities of life. And if you're struggling right now, know that that's okay. Just take some time out for yourself to create the space to understand what you truly, truly want from life and then just make it happen because small steps can be the most powerful steps. What's Bella, your- have you got a Mother's Day message you'd like to share? 
um, love your mum and understand <laughs> that they're there for you. Love it, love it. Tori and Bella, it has been an absolute pleasure, joy, and a lot of fun, lots of smiles during this recording. It's been so much fun. Thank you so much for joining the Mother's Day Mashup episode on Chat About Children. You are most welcome. And you know what we love about this because people can't see? Sonia's in her pyjamas and so are Bella and I. And it is the school holidays. And you know what? I think Life is real. The juggle is real. But when we jumped on and you're in your pink dressing gown, it just made it all more real. I love it. <laughs> hey, it's a pink jumper. <laughs> With floral pants. Thank you. <laughs> so it looks good. <laughs> uh, all good. All good. But, yeah, we do like to keep it real. Um, that's and, and I think that's a big sigh of relief for, for many mums out there. You know, it's uh, do your best. And, uh, and just love who you are and love those who are in your life. Are you going to take a photo, Tori? I love a boomerang. Ready, guys? Oh, hang on, not on me. Ready? So I can get us all in it. Oh, how do I do it like that? Yep. Yeah. Ready? What are we doing? <laughs> Good. Oh, thanks, son. Certainly a fun, inspiring and empowering chat there with Tori and Bella Archbold. And you can learn more about Tori's Powerful Steps program and her top rating podcast, Powerful Stories, in our show notes. Now to wrap up this wonderful episode as we honour mums and celebrate children, I would like to wrap it up with my youngest of my three children, Mr. Maximus. He will be sharing some jokes with you that he has cleverly made up. Wishing you all a very happy Mother's Day. I celebrate you and look forward to chatting soon. And now the final joke session is from my son, Maximus, who's made up some jokes to share with you. What is a crocodile's favourite vegetable? Crocoli. <laughs> Why can't you interrupt a worker bee? Because they're beezy. <laughs> what do T-Rexes do when they break a bone? They get Rex rays. <laughs> and now for a bonus joke. What is a cow's favourite dessert? Chocolate mousse. Happy Mother's Day. Thanks for joining the Chat About Children with Sonia Vestelich. www.chataboutchildren.com.